Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the podcast Carpe Diem, where you make your game. I am Chris Hawkabout, here with my two lovely co-hosts, Alexei. Alexei Uthin and Gerard. And that's me. Meredith SK. Yeah. Um, that's us. I am learning how to be a dungeon master. She is. And and uh, Chris and Alexei are teaching me. We're helping. We are. We are. I guess at this point, experienced dungeon masters. And who are, you are kind of now an experienced dungeon mastering teacher. Teacher, yeah, sort of. Yeah. We're, we're we're just waiting for you. We're just waiting for you to spread those leathery wings, breathe <laughs> fire on the villagers, and fly on your own. Yeah. As far as you know, my like dissertation might suck, and you'll be like, "Oh no, we don't. We're not telling anyone that we, she studied under even, us." We haven't even talked about the like your eventual you know examinations and, and passing. Shit. I, yeah, I, Honestly, you know, you just you you kind of tapped an untapped vein of like I've been sitting here for decades, going, "Man, I wish someone would ask me how to be a dungeon master." <laughs> Really? True. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That explains uh, why you guys were so enthusiastic when I brought this up. I was just like, oh, they just they just like my cute little idea a lot. There's so many cares. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's one of those things. Like, you spend 20 years doing something, and at some point you're like, I should pass this knowledge along. Really? Because what happens is in me, like, when I for the things where I actually know how to do them, it's not so much that I think, oh, I should pass this knowledge along as everyone else is doing it wrong. I better tell them in There's an educational way. Okay. There's definitely uh, a lot of that. That's why we made a podcast so that yeah. Yeah. the people who are doing it wrong can listen and be like, I'm doing it wrong. So, uh, this There's is. There's no wrong way to run D&D. <laughs> Oh, I just, yeah. I just, uh, yeah. there are some. I gave Alexei a smarmy eye. Reddit threads. Okay. Yeah. Don't do any and, of those and yeah, things. And there's partially, you know, I would look at a lot of these sort of like player nightmare stories or not bad GM stories. And, and I have a couple, but I've been really, really lucky. Honestly, mm-hmm. I've had yeah. really great players. And you have carefully chosen. No, I just kind of. I don't know. I'm just kind of lucky, I guess. Uh, so this is episode 11. And mm-hmm. uh, relatedly, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, choosing and finding your players, probably in the other order than that. You'd probably uh-huh. find them and then choose from among those candidates. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, again, as traditionally, you find between eight and 10 candidates and then they pit fight and the four or five who survive are your players. So I, I thought you would like breathe them. And then their four children would eventually be. Uh, and then you keep the pocket chain. A fascinating, <laughs> a fascinating idea. Yeah. <sighs> okay. I, I can imagine you emailing me in like two days being like, there's somebody I'd like you to meet. <laughs> uh, so we'll be talking about uh, genetic manipulation to f- build the perfect player. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about the player contract. Um which is something that Alexa has been very excited to talk about I've for basically about the it. whole series. Yep. Uh, which, um, and I'm sure Alexa can will describe this more in depth later on. At but length. At length. Uh, is how you and your players can have the same expectations going in and what everyone uh, is comfortable with or would like to see or does not want to be a part of during the game. Uh, uh-huh, yeah. For people who've been listening to all of Carpe Diem, uh, our last episode was our Big Bad Con episode, uh, and I went to Big Bad Con, and they had some really great uh, sort of player contract style tools, um, which uh, I thought were really interesting. So I'll talk a little bit about those mm-hmm. as well. And uh, we've also got a monster of the week, which mm-hmm. is the fire giant. The fire giant. 
<clears throat> they're giants mm -hmm. and they're super hot. And we're basically getting ready for me to run this game, yes. uh, which every time I think about it, I get a little bit of goose flesh. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. That's fair. Every good time. Yeah. So shall we get started? Yeah. Yes. Uh, finding players. Um, right. So I've been kind of asking around and, you know, almost everybody is people I know directly. I've asked Alexei a little bit, yeah. but. Uh, oh, yeah, I still have to put a call out. Sorry. It's okay. Um, and while I've gotten sort of one yes, a lot of it has been a very hesitant, usually because people are really busy. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we're adults and everyone's busy. True. Yeah. No, uh, you, you know, finding players as adults is really different from finding players back when we were in high school. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what anyone else's experience was, but I definitely met a group of kids in ninth grade and started playing D&D &D with them. And we would just like go to my friend Jeremy's house every Friday, rain or shine for the next four years and play D&D &D together. And that was just how it went. Mm -hmm. um, now as adults, there's like scheduling and everybody yeah. has jobs and lives. Some people have relationships. Some people, you know, have like, you know, kids, kids extravagant travel mm -hmm. hobbies, complicated, you know, mm -hmm. martial yeah. arts tournaments they have to prepare for, whatever yeah. crazy thing your friends are into. And, and they, people are, you know, they, mm -hmm. time is valuable to them. And, and in a lot mm -hmm. of regards, taking on a game is kind of a gamble in a way because mm -hmm. role-playing games can suck. And, and it's sad to say sometimes not gaming at all is preferable to actually being in a really bad one. Yeah boring games or games where not enough happens mm -hmm. can, you know, take up time. A, and yeah. It's a waste of your, you know, as we said, valuable four to six hours. Um, that. so there's, <clears throat> so there's that kind of hesitation. Mm -hmm. Um, and my sort of response hesitation is when someone, when someone goes, you know, when I talk to them and I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I can. Like I kind of, I don't trust that they're not, Gonna flake out. Sure. Which yeah. isn't, I'm not saying that my friends are particularly flaky, but um, I, I'm wondering in the balance of finding the right player, the mm -hmm. choosing the player, um, uh, and all this, it's like, well, if there's, if I have like one yes, and then mm -hmm. like three or four people that are like, well, maybe, you know, yeah, I think maybe, uh, like how much of the game gets designed around the people I know right. are the players and if those people flake out. So let's, so let's roll back just a second and actually let's do some role playing okay. right here right, right now. Meredith, you're Meredith. Okay. This should be an easy character for you. You would be surprised. <laughs> uh, get your stat sheet out. Uh, I'm going to play one of your friends who you are asking to be in your D and D game. Mm -hmm. Ask me to be in your D and D game. Go <laughs> now. Hey, Alexei. Yeah, Meredith, what's up? Uh, so, you know, I've been doing this podcast the last few months. I feel like I've heard mm -hmm. about that somewhere online. Um, yeah, so it's called Carpe Diem, and mm -hmm. I've basically been learning how to be a DM. Okay. And I'm getting ready to run my first game, and mm -hmm. I was thinking that you'd be a great player. Would you like to join us? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that sounds super, that sounds really fun. I'm, I'm pretty busy right now uh you put me down as a maybe right well okay uh i i, I so can this is where you roll charisma to see if you've convinced me to be in your game no <laughs> actually here's the trick meredith 
if you want your players to be excited about your game, mm -hmm. you have to give them a little bit more than that. Okay. So as a DM, remember that you're asking your players potentially to like give up a bunch of their time mm -hmm. to hang out with you. Mm -hmm. So feel free to like sell the game a bit more mm -hmm. when you're asking people to join. Because just telling them I'm running a D&D game, that's really broad. <laughs> As we've said before, like D&D can be a million different things. But if you tell your players, hey, I'm running this like really cool kind of exploration game. It's my first game. And, you know, it's going to be all about the, the curse of Turtle Mountain. The curse of Turtle Mountain. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like like give if you give them even just okay. the curse of Turtle Mountain or the mystery of Turtle Mountain. I've like, got them invested. I've I got think, a little hook. I think, yeah, I think it'll hook people. It's a call um, to action, as they say, as in, they the, say uh, in the, in the horrible marketing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So there was something that we used to do a lot uh, uh, at some of the past game companies I worked for, and that's basically the one-page pitch mm -hmm. where you just attach a nice little piece of art you feel is evocative of, of the game you want to do, and then either a bulleted sort of like list of cool things about it or just like a brief description of what it is and you can now do that digitally like through through a facebook group and include hmm. all of mm -hmm. your friends that you think would would uh be interested in joining usually i kind of do a cattle call kind of among my friends i say hey i've got a night or two i've got open i want to run a game mm -hmm. and it's going to be this i'm thinking of running this who's interested I'm interested. Meredith exactly. is interested. <laughs> then you just go, okay. Then it's then you drill down on a date, mm -hmm. and uh, but that is never like the end of the equation because as easy as that sounds, yeah, it starts to break down pretty much as right. soon as people start like saying, "Yeah, I'm interested," then things start getting complicated. What is a good advanced timeline? Do you guys think? Because I find that with other things, uh, if I say if I say too far in advance, things crop up. If it's too, you know, like if I ask three months in advance, right? You know, much. it's the event horizon is too far off. Mm -hmm. I, this is sort of a, a, you know, not necessarily a super vital part of this process, but no, three yeah. weeks to a month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Give give people a three week to one month lead up, mm -hmm. which is long enough that like their short term uh, commitments have sort of fallen off, mm -hmm. but not so far away that they can't conceive of yeah. like. What it's, am I doing next month? Whereas yeah. if you ask me, like, where will you be in three months? I'm always just like, I don't. What even is that? <laughs> February? Mar I mean, March? Yeah. I could be anywhere by March. I could be dead. I, I might be dead. Yeah. Yeah. Three weeks a month is perfect because it also gives the initial the the those there there always be a couple of people who are sort of like they really want to play and a game kind of comes across them. They're like they jump at it. Yeah, I'm in. I'm totally down. And then mm -hmm. a week goes by and like. Oh shit! I got this other stuff I need to do. Yeah, I, actually, I can't really. It's like the perfect do it. guilt window. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. they like sort of if it's too far out, they don't have enough guilt for like canceling because they're like, oh, it's still far too far out. And if it's mm -hmm. too short of a notice, then they feel less guilt because they're like, oh, well, it was a really so short, short notice. notice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The guilt window. Um, and so speaking of putting out a call, like which both of you have said, uh, I mean, I'm thinking there's going to be four players in this game. It seems right. like a pretty standard. Yeah. That's a nice number. Yeah. Um, should I know all of them really well or should I have like a wild card in there? Uh, I like having a wild card. Uh, the last time I had a wild card player in my game, it worked out really nicely for me. So, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's just like any, any social yeah. interaction. Um, I, it's, it's, it's great if you kind of know the know your players enough to know what kind of players they are. Yeah. It's funny because like, my first my first game was in 
high school and I played it with friends and obviously like this is high school uh, and it was a huge disaster. And because I was playing with people that I knew, uh, they felt no compunctions about kind of mocking me for having like fucked up the game, mm-hmm. um, which fortunately didn't deter me. But, you know, having those someone, don't sound like friends. They, they weren't very good friends, actually. I don't really talk to any of them anymore. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, you know, yeah, I think it's, it is a little bit of a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, again, for your first time, go with people you care about and, and especially people that you think will be fun. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Think about like, who are your friends who are creative, who are interesting, who are, you know, thinking of stuff, who, who don't mind doing character voices since that's really, you know, an important Let's say part of your that game. I've had, I mean, I five say or six people call, say, you know, that, yes, that is by and no like, means saying it's not um, And I need to sort of, make that decision of like who who among these spectacular people who've agreed to be in my first game that I'm recording uh to go on a podcast um if I've never played with any of them which is likely considering that I haven't played that much and the people I have played with have listened to this podcast uh-huh. <laughs> um how let's say that I want Turtle Mountain to be not a completely lighthearted, but you know, like it's going to have some suspense and drama, but it's ultimately going to be not super dark. Right. Um, you know, serious, you know, like, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not Discworld. Yeah. It's, you know, King killer. Right. Um, so who, how do you choose between those people? Yeah. If I've never played with them. Think about their personalities. Think about who you think will jive well around the table. Yeah, just talk to them, you know. Yeah. Talk about what, what kind of characters they like to play <laughs> and what other games they're playing. If you don't know them, you know, uh, so you don't know games they've played or don't know mm-hmm. their play style, you can learn a lot about a, about a gamer just by asking what games they're into. Um, I mean, I have this friend named Andy. Um, hi, Andy. Uh, who is really funny and does, like, these very lighthearted comic strips a lot about D too but like historically mm. he plays these really evil kind of fucked up characters um. who uh do these kind of not i mean not horrible in you know the grand scheme of like hbo special kind of like <laughs> incest and murder horrible but like kind of like what you know like something mm. opposite his personality uh-huh. yeah um so maybe not a great fit. Or, <laughs> Although he's or hilarious. If so. you feel like, <laughs> oh my god, him, I kind of want Andy to be. If you, if you feel like asking him, like, hey, do you mind playing against type? Like, do you mind mm-hmm. playing someone who's gonna kind of jibe with the group? Mm-hmm. Um, so do they do? And this might be kind of jumping ahead a little bit, mm-hmm. but um, once I get those people, or even before, uh, do they? When do? When we're doing, like, if we're doing character creation and there, I want, there want to be a good balance, but I also want to, you know, which would be sort of decided when we all get together for the first time, but mm-hmm. I also want to write the story to be to those balance. Mm-hmm. Um, should I ask the people when, when they're first saying yes, like, do you have an idea of what kind of character you'd like to play? Well, it depends. I guess it depends on how much kind of world you've given them. The kind mm-hmm. of, I mean, that's kind of one of the cool things about giving them enough about your world to kind of spark, start to spark their imagination yeah. even before you've kind of like uh, invited them directly mm-hmm. or specifically. So mm-hmm. that the ones who are really interested and they come to you, it's like, yeah, you know, I had this idea about this, you know, and 
Um, that's uh, uh, that's why I just like give them the information as soon as you can, and and, uh, and the cream will rise to the top. Right. I guess uh, another uh, uh, there's another sort of potential f- approach to that though, which would be you know, give your players nothing until all of them are together, then explain the world to them all together and then let them create Mm. characters given that they all have the same information. I like that one, actually. I I think for your first game, I think that's not a bad idea, Mm -hmm. Um, both because I think it will lead the players to kind of build characters that are a little bit more compatible mm-hmm. and you can make sure that the players, that the characters are kind of playing off of each other. So mm-hmm. they're like fairly tightly knit. Um, really the, the distinction I think between these two styles is how important is it for the players to be surprised by other players? Right. Um, you know, in the Sabat game that I'm running, I made sure that each of the players made their character totally separately, Mm -hmm. right? I told each of them individually about the world that they were in and each of them made their characters like basically totally separate from the others. And then they would all share like a little like two sentence bio one with one another because Mm -hmm. they were all coworkers at Walmart. And the idea was like, you don't really know any of the people that you work with. You only know kind of the surface Mm -hmm. level. So they all knew these little snippets about each other. They'd been working together for a year. They knew each other like very, very minimally. Mm -hmm. And I think like uh, these two different approaches, and I actually tend to prefer um, uh, Alex's approach and the players put the characters together, uh, create the characters together in a way. Um, Because whether they arrive, their their character concepts uh, singly or sort of build them together as a group, actually probably feeds into sort of the foundation you intend to make your right. campaign. If if these are players are all from the, the same community, yeah. then it's pretty important, I think, actually, that they do kind of like have kind of a more communal character. Yeah, mm-hmm. they know each other. If they're a bunch of strangers who are like right. thrown together by fate, then yeah, you know, then you can have sort of like this crazy quilt, right. interesting melange. Again, the reason that I did this with my Sabat game is that Sabat is a game about like paranoia and horror. And uh-huh. I wanted all of the players to have this constant sense of like, I don't even know who else is in this party. I don't even know what else is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But for your game, because that's not so much the tone, I think like getting everyone together and having a real convivial, like first session character generation. And that will be the first session, right? The, the first, in the time that it takes you to explain the world, explain the rules, and build characters, that's an all-day process. Yeah. By the time that's done, you've got your at least some rough sketches of characters set up. Your players can go away, and now you can start building the world around those characters. Cool. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, hearing you sort of like give an acto about something that has that you've done pre-game, like mm-hmm. completely pre-game, mm-hmm. uh, is really interesting because I... I've personally only kind of had it where you all show up, you do your character creation together. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, maybe later on you figure out something like, oh, I actually want this character to be working against the other characters in mm-hmm, secret. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then you email the DM. And um, Chris, do you have any examples of like pre-game, uh, t- different types of pre-game work you've done? Uh, yeah, well, there was, um, uh, there was a campaign I ran um, where... Uh, I always wanted to run a campaign set in H.P. Lovecraft's Dreamland, sort mm-hmm. of like this very strange, fantastical realm that in, existed in the world. In the in you could uh, people from Earth could visit it in their dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, but I made 
player characters create character characters who are from that world. Mm. So I had to, I did cook up sort of like uh, the community that they were from. And that's what I shared with the players so that when they came, they sort of knew where they were from. And then they started like making their characters, to get characters together. Mm-hmm. And I actually had to make two characters because um, one character was the dream manifestation of, mm. of the other. So there was like, part of the campaign was taking place in the dreamlands. And then part of it was taking place in the, in the waking world, in the waking world. That's um, super neat. And that required, required uh, quite a bit of, of uh, work to keep, to keep mm. those, um, those two worlds separate, especially in the player's mind. Um, unfortunately that campaign kind of uh, ended due to, due to outside circumstances. Oh no. Um, so I don't, don't know how long we would have been able to maintain that yeah. reality. Mm. Um, it's a neat idea though. Yeah, yeah. that's really neat. I think that might be a little bit too advanced for my version. I, yeah, don't worry about no. having a whole separate game set in the dream world generated <laughs> by your characters. That's a lot. That's that's some advanced. No, but shit. I think I think like <laughs> tune in for tune in for us talking about that that in Carpe Diem four. Yeah. <laughs> so as we've talked about in past episodes, uh, you know, bringing up this idea of rooting the players in the world, making mm-hmm. them part of a community, making them have mm-hmm. sort of like a history and maybe even contribute to the creation of it with, uh, in their, during their character creation process. If you do give them like just enough of a blurb to kind of, uh, pr- prime the engine as it were on mm-hmm. that first session, when they come in, they already sort of have, they're already kind of like bursting with ideas. Um, then half the work is kind of done for you. So let's work on your blurb a little bit. My blurb, like yeah. when I tell players my hook. Yeah, yeah hook. kind of like what's the, you know, you've talked about like, okay, this is a relatively lighthearted fantasy world. Which is not that. It's not grim. It's yeah, not dark. And it's, it's, I don't think I'm going to do, um, I don't know. Like at first I was going to say, I don't think I'll do something that's like, it's going to change the whole world. But mm-hmm. like, I, you know, I wouldn't mind, it will. you know, at least having the taste of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So I want it to be adventurous mm-hmm. and exciting. Um, I don't want people going in thinking that they're going to be faced with these like psychologically difficult decisions, right, right, right. like consistently. Yeah. Um, and it's not like, for example, it's also not going to take place completely in, you know, or like with the primary evil being demons and, right. you know, uh, moralistic issues or so this is kind of a like this is a sort of mortal so, realm yeah sort of thing this is this is your this is your like the classic adventure it's a story classic yeah. swords and sorcery adventure story okay 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 of, yeah yeah of mm-hmm. uh of small town heroes earth-shaking events oh god that's so good uh, oh. Oh, and, and people always like when you, when you hear stuff like you know uh Ancient civilizations right, right, right. or, yeah. or ancient uh, mysteries, ancient, ancient magic. Mysteries. Right, yeah. Yeah, there's some unknown uh, writings. Small of- town heroes, earth shaking events, and ancient mysteries. Done. That's yes, it. Yes. That's the like, that's the pitch, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so it'll be something like Would you like to join my game? Oh, what kind of game is it, <laughs> Meredith? Well, it's a classic sword and sorcery adventure. Uh, there are ancient mysteries and earth-shaking events. Uh, hit small town heroes first. Oh, hit small right? town heroes. Okay, there's hit small town heroes. Don't know what <laughs> yeah, that don't, was. Okay, that was <laughs> that, that was by was accident. A, that, that was, was a totally stage direction. <laughs> uh, there's small town heroes.
heroes and ancient mysteries that lead to earth-shaking events. It's a classic sword and sorcery adventure for two to four players ages 8 to 80. (laughs) I would definitely buy this game at the game store. Awesome. Done. Uh, And then people always ask uh, how many meetings it'll be. Right. Uh, What's the word for that? Sessions. Sessions. Okay, yeah. They ask how many sessions it's going to be. I have no fucking clue. Right? You shouldn't really. Yeah. I mean... I sort of have been saying two to four because as part of like the hook, mm. because anything more than people are like, Ooh, I don't know. I'm commitment phobic. Right. <sighs> um, you know, yeah, I think, I think that's about right. I would say, tell people like, you know, one character creation session, you know, two to four adventures. And if we're having a good time, we'll think about extending it. Mm. Yeah. You know? uh, or like the world can extend beyond that. If yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So I think, I feel pretty good about that. Uh, let me see if I can recite it one more time. Okay. <clears throat> hey, Meredith, what's your game about? In a world. <laughs> I'm already, I'm already wrapped. There's some classic, in the countryside, in the foothills of mountains. There are cl- <laughs> okay. This is where mapping, we got to name uh, no, we, all of this shit. Yeah. So that you can be like, in the shadow of the mountains uh, of. Lies Larry. the town of Trebon. Lies the town of, is it Trebon? Uh, well, Trayvon's a king killer thing. I yeah, just reread king killer because I'm obsessive. Oh, right. um, I can do that, right? I can just take names from other things and put them. Not on the you, podcast, you, I guess. No, you can't. Yeah, I mean, no, you totally can. Like, it's your D and D game. No one's okay. You're I'll not, just you're call not it selling it. So. I need to look up what turtle is in different. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, languages. Most mostly, it's like different variations on yeah. the turtle. I'll just I'll just say Tortu. Yes. I mean Tortuga is the name of a place that is actually that actually means turtle. Chelonian? Yeah. Oh or is it Chelonian? I, I always say Chelonian, but it's almost certainly Chelonian. Uh that sounds like a big city and not like a tiny town. It's true. No but the mount the the mounds could oh, be, it could the be the Chelonian. The, oh mountains. no no it could be the oh, we know the it, they could have a bar called the Chelonian Inn. <laughs> <Ooh>, subtle. <laughs> Wait, hang on. If we could name the mountains the Chelonian Mountains and then Turtle is the Turtle Mountain, then then Turtle Mountain is next to the Turtle Mountains. I feel like people will catch on. You know, one, one other hook you might not want to uh, ignore is sort of hinting maybe if, if you have sort of an overarching idea on, what, on, on who the players are, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, you could lead with that also. It's like you guys play right. small town heroes, or like you play. You guys are 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 longtime friends, you know, right. who've yeah. grown of age and are now on your first adventure, or you know, just kind can of like save the mead festival. Yeah. Can you do it? Oh, that's right, the mead festival. I've forgotten completely right. about the mead or, festival. Or you know, you, you know who uh, you know you play friends have been you've been people have been friends for life on your first adventure, and you're thrust far, far away from from everything you know, and 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 on a, on a mission to save. Blah, you know. The Mead um, Festival. Save the Mead Festival. Yes. Or, or you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's somewhere in there, right? As long as you're, as long as I think you're getting most of that out. Cool. It gives people a better sense of what you're asking yeah, for. Which maybe, I think will make it easier for people mm-hmm. to say yes. And easier for them to come into the game with yeah. some sort of ideas maybe. Yeah, of exactly. character. Speaking of uh, pregame work, I think when I've played with you, Alexei, mm-hmm. and maybe... An, a couple other games I've played, um, they'll ask me and then, you know, if I want to play and then I'll say yes. And then they go, mm-hmm. you know, a couple times leading up to the actual game, mm-hmm. they'll 
message me and say, do you know what kind of character you want to play? Right. In? Yeah. Um, is that sort of tied into the like whether or not people pre-make or make during the character creation? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're going to make if you're going to have your players get together and make characters, then like you don't have to ask people because they'll figure it out when they're there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I'm just going to do that. I kind of really enjoy the communal character yeah, creation and then strong. and then say, if you want to do anything outside of the right. group, you can we, can we can talk about that. Yeah. But, you know, it sometimes but, it, yeah. it can weed out some people like if you're like, so what, what kind of characters are what kind of character do you right. you want to play these days? Well, I wanted to play this like hyper assassin, mm. uh, cyber cyborg Ninja. character, and like, well, can't, that's not really what this is about. Right. But so, mm. what what part of small town heroes? <laughs> what part of well, save the mead festival says cyborg assassin? Oh yeah, know? I guess I should also tell them that it's a uh, you know what level technology world. Well, yeah. you know, and that could be during so character creation. It's a fantasy world. Yeah, yeah. I mean. If you're, if you're playing D&D, it's pretty implicit, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Medieval technology and yet cheap access to magic unaccountably. I mean, someone could be like a hyper advanced Tinker Gnome or something. Sure. Yeah. I love true. Tinker Gnomes. It's like they sort of just like, all right, there's some gearheads out there and they want to be something. <laughs> uh, Tinker Gnomes. Tinker Gnome, go. Okay, Alexei, player contract. Give me Let's the rundown. Let's talk about the player contract. Let's, well, why don't, why don't you describe this? Because I think mm-hmm. you're the only person I've ever <laughs> played with who actually describes it thusly. Who does this. Okay, so here's what I think of as the player contract. And for different games, the way that this works will feel really different. Um, but I think it's really valuable Uh, to sit down with your players during character creation, uh, either maybe just before or just after they've made characters, and talk a little bit about things like the tone of your game, what kind of expectations players have around like graphic violence, uh, sexuality, and kind of do a a, like quick check-in around, are there sort of like red zones? Are there things that you're just like, like... I can't have this in the game. It will make it not fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting because Dungeons and Dragons has such a strong sort of people come in with such a strong sense of like what the game is tonally and thematically mm-hmm. that it's maybe less important in a D&D game than it might be in other games mm-hmm. because people are like, okay, we got swords, we got sorcery, we got dragons, we got dungeons. Like that already gives you so much framework for what to expect. You know, it, that said, if you're going to betray that by having like a D&D game that has like really deep body horror elements where you have like, I don't know, like Lemures that are crawling in and out of people's mouths and like possessing their bodies or like, you know, some awful flesh shaping demon that's like going around, like turning people into, you know, hideous art sculptures that we blood or whatever. Just some ideas off the top of my head. <laughs> um, you know, the, then you might want to warn your players, Hey, we're doing D and D, but it's going to be pretty dark or, mm-hmm. you know, we're doing D and D, but I, I want to give it a little bit of that, like Ravenloft feel. Mm-hmm. And, I know GMs for whom the temptation to surprise players with that kind of stuff is really powerful where they're like, oh, I just want like I want I want that reaction of shock. 
I understand that, but this is supposed to be fun and everyone around the table is supposed to be having fun. And if you have a player who you don't realize is going to react really negatively to that, you've just ruined someone's afternoon, mm -hmm. you know? So that's when that's the kind of thing that I think of with the player contract as being important. Like sit down, have a quick discussion with the players about what kind of expectations do they have around tone? What kind of expectations do they have around like, you know, these, these various different elements. Mm -hmm. um, I ran a unknown armies game pretty recently uh, that ha where we went through a, a kind of fairly long process of player contract because unknown armies is a modern occult horror role-playing game, mm -hmm. but it gets run sort of in the lightest side. It gets run as kind of like Buffy, the vampire slayer. And at its darkest side, it gets run as like grind core, you know, ultra violent, like mental and psychological, like torture horror. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that's a real wide spectrum to have a game. And if your players are expecting something on the end of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you want to give them like, hey, let's like tear your worst memories out of your character's skin mm -hmm. and then make you relive them and make you like watch your failures over and over again. Like there's a tonal disconnect there yeah. and your players might stop having fun. Yeah. And maybe not have the... Uh Feeling like they have the ability to say something about it. Yeah, exactly. Like in that moment, it can be really hard yeah. to kind of like. So I guess that's a good thing also is that when you do that in advance, you're mm -hmm. you're opening up and making available that dialogue. Like, hey, yep. if you aren't comfortable with something, mm -hmm. um, then you have this ability to right. talk to me. Yeah, and I think like uh, also whenever if you're you know there's some game masters I've had, I've I've played with who make a big point about you know either the grittiness of a mm -hmm. realism of their campaign or the historical accuracy of their mm -hmm. game. And mm -hmm. this is really uh, um, important when it comes to games like Call of Cthulhu, which mm -hmm. takes place in the yep. 1920s. And I've known game masters who are very, very explicit about like accuracy. And so like, for example, such that if you're a player in that guy's Call of Cthulhu game, you probably wouldn't want to play a black person because he mm -hmm. would make the world treat you like he, the game master, um, wants to depict the world treating black mm -hmm. people as he in feels it's accurate in the yeah. 1920s. Mm -hmm. um, and that might be too much for some players. I mean, even just a witness, much less experience first time right. Right, as a player. If you want to have, if you're planning to have like a really gritty fantasy setting, like you're like getting into Game of Thrones territory, it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. there's going to be baby killing and rape mm -hmm. and war and, mm -hmm. and dark mm -hmm. shit like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a player contract just to give the players a chance to sort of yeah. opt in is important. Mm. important. I think that uh, I just want to take an aside here and say that like Chris and Alexa and I are very lucky to live in an area that uh, this type of communication is, uh, well, in our, not area, but in our friend groups mm -hmm. is pretty, uh, it's not uncommon. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think it's important to both point out and note that a lot of times uh, either people don't have that kind of community no. or they're younger or in some sort of situation where um, being open about something you don't like isn't as uh, tolerated or uh, you don't feel as comfortable. Um, yeah. So uh, if um, like, and I think that's really important and um, you can, uh, you can, this is something a little, like I understand a little bit more, even though I've never been a DM, like I'm, 
you know, I've been lucky enough to like have this sort of conversation. So if mm-hmm. you're, um, uh, if you are in that sort of situation where you maybe have players where you like need to tell them that they have this ability to communicate, but they're not super mm-hmm. new to it. Um, yeah. like what, what sort of, so this is actually this is kind of actually where some of those like tools that I was talking about earlier mm-hmm. um, can come in really handy. Mm-hmm. Um, so two tools that I saw um, talked about that I liked mm-hmm. are the veil and the X card. Mm-hmm. Um, and the veil is this idea of telling people, hey, there are certain topics or certain situations that we're going to accept as part of the narrative, but we're not going to depict like kind of like full screen like the camera Mm -hmm. will not linger on them so like sexual scenes or scenes of extreme violence Mm -hmm. you know we can say like the camera like you know the 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 Mm -hmm. the shot fades out before like so you can kind of use something that people might be more like aware of like you can say like this is going to be a pg-13 there's going to be like swearing but there's not going to be explicit sex but there are people in this world know what sex is and like it might happen or exactly and people will die but it won't be like Maimed. Gruesome. Yeah. yeah, they're not going to be maimed. You're not going to have to like babysit yeah. someone who's been like gut stabbed for the nine hours that yeah. it takes them to like, make it sort of relatable. Drown in their own blood. Like, yeah, like is I it... know that's not what happens when you get gut stabbed. Don't don't. Long stabbed, I think. Yeah, there that's we go. guts. Technically, no, 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 not at all. Anyway, so yeah, so exactly, so you know, giving people giving people that like, oh yeah, this mm-hmm. is a PG thirteen rated game. Yeah. That's an excellent way mm-hmm. to yeah. get make it everyone accessible. on the same page yeah. of like, oh, these are the expectations around sex and the expectations around violence. Yeah, and then maybe relate it to like a movie or something yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. like totally. this is Star Wars, not Kill Bill. Yeah. you know, like yeah. people die, people get shot, but it's or people well, get hit with things. People but. get shot and then they will home scream and they fall down. You know, yeah. and then and that's it. Like you know, we don't. This isn't the Invisibles where. You know, we take an entire comic, a 22-page comic, to talk about, like, the one Delta Force dude who gets <laughs> shot in the f- skull, you know, and, and like, really make you empathize with him for the single panel that he's on screen before he's brutally murdered. Um, so, so yeah, so the veil, and, and again, and you can say, like, as the GM, you're like, well, uh, you know, we draw a veil mm-hmm. on this scene and we move forward, mm-hmm. you know, cut to uh-huh. the next morning or cut to later on that evening or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, the X card is another thing. Uh, again, some of these tools. So I saw these being used at Big Bad Con. I like them, especially for one off games with people that you don't know well, because mm-hmm. you don't have a chance to have these like yeah. more in-depth conversations. Um, so they might not be as valuable for like longer term campaign players, because then you can have a more protracted negotiation around like, hey, I I really not didn't feel uncomfortable or didn't feel comfortable with like X, Y, Z thing that happened. The X card is just this idea that there's literally like a card with an X on it. And if something that happens, something happens in the game that makes people uncomfortable, they can just touch the card and the GM actually will like back the story up for a second and like find a different way Mm -hmm. for the narrative to progress without like that event happening. Mm -hmm. Like you sort of rewind and, and move around it. Do you think all this stuff is, uh, slightly more necessary in games that are like going like first like you know mine is pretty classic sword and sorcery mm-hmm. this and that like do you think that you wind up using these tools less for that or and more for uh, times where you're using darker campaigns yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah. There, there's again 
There's yeah. comedy in this you, in case anyone's not comfortable with comedy. Here's the next card. You know, again, like if you're going to stray real far from the, mm. that standard, if you tell people come play Dungeons and Dragons with me and they get there and it's like an abattoir, mm. warn people, you mm. know, because that that's going to go against their expectations. But mm. if you're running standard D&D, you can tell people, hey, here's some here's some some boundaries to this world. It's PG-13, et cetera. Mm. And and. 99% of the time you're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, I also, you know. Uh, you know, in my experience, the situation of the game really lends itself to what people are going to think of, mm-hmm. you know, like it takes a little bit of extra prompting for someone to really, as, well, uh, as a player go into a either gory or hypersexual mm-hmm. or horror scene. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really just come out of, nowhere in the scene usually i mean it depends a lot on the gm mm-hmm. you know um again i mean the sabat game that i'm running so the sabat game that i'm running is explicitly sort of like it's the it's a vampire game but it's very much on the darkest edge of vampire mm-hmm. um and i was pretty upfront with my players like you know hey by the way this is a, a horror game. It's going to touch on a lot of different types of horror, body horror, psychological horror, emotional horror. Like these are bad people doing bad things to each other. And everybody sort of enthusiastically consented to be in that game. I, I don't know why they're friends of mine and I love them, but like, um, you know, but, but what was I going to say? So in that game, I've gotten a lot of leeway from my players by telling them like, Hey, explicitly, this is going to be very dark. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I had a player come to me and say like something happened in the last game, it was really not okay. You know, I'd still want to listen to that. I'd still Mm want to be receptive to that comment. Um, You know, does that happen? uh, It has not happened to me. Um, Yeah, it hasn't happened to me ever. Um, I had a player in my I canvassed the players in my unknown armies game about their phobias. Um, and I had a player be like, I have a phobic fear of crustaceans and anything kind of shelled or spiny. And I was like, okay, that's really good to know because this game was going to be full of like bad crabs. Like I I really had like a whole bunch of like the slimy things from the deep that were going to come up with like shells and pincers. And I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. I had to avoid spiders with with a player. Arachnophobic player. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Again, like those kinds of things, like figure out what, you know, if your if your player has like a real phobia, of something, mm. hearing a bunch of people talk about it is a really good way to ruin an afternoon. Mm. You know, it's just not fun if you're like, I'm scared of spiders, and everybody's like, oh, there's a giant spider. I attacked the spider. Oh, yeah. the spider bit me. You know, like that player is gonna be like, well, thanks for the nightmare, yeah, fuel, exactly. guys. One way ticket to Nightmare Town for me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, dude. So um, so uh Spiders and crabs. Uh-huh. They're monsters. They are. <laughs> that, they are indeed. We gotta. I'm not. No, I'm not accepting that as a segue. Absolutely not. We we, we need another one. We need another one. We're not. I'm vetoing that one. We're gonna start. I, you know, you know, I you wanna do a better one, like I'm gonna do one. I got I, one. You know. I try my best. I'm working oh, real hard here. Oh, sweetie, I love you. I don't, I just. No. Okay, I'm not, that can I'm be not really no. crying. Okay. Well, speaking of phobias. <laughs> I have a phobia of. Do you have a phobia of very tall people? 
of giants. <laughs> I have a fear of being stepped on by one. Mm, that's legit. Yeah, sure. Yes, I have. I have a fear of 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 bad segues. <laughs> this is uh, probably not the podcast for you. <laughs> <laughs> What's that thing? Let's have a peek. Monster of the week. Uh, Alexei, what is our monster of the week? This week's monster is the fire giant. Fire giant. Ooh. Uh, so. Dungeons and Dragons, we've talked a little bit about dragons and sort of like how important dragons are to the kind of the tonal consistency of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, But we don't really often think of giants as being part of that. In fact, Dungeons and Dragons for almost its entire history has had a surprisingly complex and detailed view of giant society. Hmm. There are a bunch of different types of giants hmm. and each type of giant is is sort of like denoted by its size, its general coloring and its society um, ranging from the relatively small like your hill ogres and your you know Etten, like your Mori, your 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 lesser giant kin all the way up to like the grand giants, the storm giants and uh, cloud giants. The mythological ones. The mythological ones. The ones that don't smell like hot garbage. Yeah, right. Wait, right. what ones smell like hot garbage? Oh, no. The lesser ones, yeah. the bad ones. Yeah, yeah the, 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 the lesser giants are pretty gross. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that smell of hot garbage tells you. I was like you. New York in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and often those like, those more... Those higher races of giants, the the storm giants and cloud giants, um, are often actually like implicated or involved with uh, the kind of creation of the universe or, you know, the early gods. They often get cast as like, oh, sort of like the Titans, like, oh, once these mm-hmm. were the creatures that like ruled this plane, but then the gods revolted against them or cast them down or shattered their societies or whatever. And they had to like retreat to the clouds or whatever. Fire giants are kind of in that intermediate giant place, um, which means that they're good antagonists for mid-level um, PCs. Yeah. Um, and their fire giants are characterized, their their society is characterized by being intensely feudal, uh, deeply martial, and fairly xenophobic. Fire giants are tall. They work forges in in volcanoes. They're artificers, so they build a lot of like magical or you know high tech, relatively high tech gadgetry. Um, and you know they raid surrounding areas. They take smaller races as slaves. Um, I think in general they'd be considered lawful evil. As yeah, a, they're as kind a, of like disciplined militaristic. Yeah. Does it not say in the in the? It probably does. I'm I'm just trying to deduce from my from my knowledge of them, without without actually looking them up in the book. Uh, boop boop boop. Fire giant, lawful evil. I was right. Nice. Because they're the they're the uh, because they're kind of a conquering species of giant. You know, a lot of giants are they're either they just don't have their stuff together and they just hang out on hills and and waylay uh, travelers. Um, fire giants are conquerors. They'll organize and they'll conquer territory and they'll hold they'll capture mm-hmm. slaves and have 
vassal peoples and and client states, um, depending on how big you want to kind of have your wow. your fire yeah. giant uh, presence in your in your campaign world or not. Um, yeah, they're fun because they're also that that perfect mid range uh, big baddie to to throw it throw at your party. Yeah. So when would I use a, a fire giant? They're CR nine. So yeah. <laughs> so basically, a, a single fire giant makes a great kind of mid campaign like like your players could start hearing that there is that a fire giant has moved into a nearby volcano around the time that they hit fifth level okay and then little by little as they progress they realize that this fire giant has started to like pump out weaponry sell that weaponry for cash use that cash to raise armies and is now just like plundering the local you know everywhere around themselves Mm. and little by little the giant's threat kind of grows and grows and grows until the players hit around eighth or ninth level, at which point they're like, okay, our town is now under threat. We have to take out this fire giant. You know, it's time to raid the volcano. And then it's, then it's a neat sort of PCs versus fire giant with whatever the fire giant has managed to put together in terms of defenses and, and armies and the PCs just having to like bowl through a bunch of little monsters and then get to the fire giant's lair and do like a neat lair crawl of trying to get down to where the fire giant is desperately forging some mega weapon, uh, you know, dodging traps all the way and fighting the fire giant's other guardians. That's a pretty cool adventure. Yeah. I kind of want to run that suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, alternately as a foil for higher level PCs, fire giants are social Mm. and they have societies. So like, you know, a group of fire giants, a a tribe or a, I don't know, I guess they'd be like a, a lineage of fire giants. Troop. A troop. Yeah. A a fife of fire giants. Mm. I don't know what the, what the, what the group noun is. Mm. Um, you know, if that, if that group. A hugeness. Uh, sure. A, a fieriness. Anyway, um, if that group loses access to a resource that they need or suddenly like decides that they are, you know, inclined to kind of take resources from other people, you know, a passel of fire giants is a real significant threat. Um, and, and because they're ambitious and, right. and they're artificers and so they're they're intelligent and uh capable of planning um and they have a lot of have oodles of personality a as you, as the players kind of enter the late mid ranges um you could have a, a fire giant uh you know arch nemesis who's actually the like the major domo of some greater evil and being mm-hmm. being fire giants that lends himself to you know the fire giant general of a red dragon mm-hmm. or uh, or you know the fire giant uh hitman of of a of a devil yeah um, totally you know uh and so you can start equipping them with with their own kind of set of magic weapons and armor and give them class levels and make them sort of really scary personality they are 18 feet tall yeah oh wow yeah when they say when they say giant they really mean it you're yeah. you're, you're coming up to the knee on this thing wow um maybe mid thigh if you're if, you're if they're standing outside hero. we'd see like his nipples yeah um, so, so, um, <laughs> so yeah, so that, that they're actually a really neat kind of, it's, it's interesting to me that they're like, mm-hmm. if, I think of the monsters we've talked about so far, it's interesting to have one that they do have their own society mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have, yeah. uh, I mean, I know there are other ones in 
the uh, Monster Manual that do that. But I think so far we've mainly talked relatively, right. not mindless, but beastie. Ones, yeah, beastie. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, this is our first, this is our first real, like, you know, monsters that have their, they have their conscious, they have society, yeah. they mm-hmm. have a culture, you know, they have a, a kind of, they have a history, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to use fire giants in your game, absolutely think about what it has meant historically mm-hmm. for the surrounding area to have mm-hmm. group of, a group of fire giants anywhere nearby because mm-hmm. they're militaristic and expansionistic in general. Now, mm-hmm. Again, you can change all that. If you decide that you want your fire giants to be like, you know, quiet artificers who like keep to themselves and are shy, mm-hmm. go for it. That's fine. Would that, wouldn't that kind of be then shouldn't I just choose a different thing then? Mm. Maybe, but maybe you want to put have a tinker own, giant. Yeah, maybe you want to put your own stamp on the fire giants. Maybe yeah. you, you like the look or you like the aesthetic, and but you're like rule of cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Alexei, would you like to roll? Or oh my god, spin I the wheel of monsters. The wheel of mon- spun the wheel of monsters in so long. All right, Alexei, shall I uh, okay. queue up, warm up this wheel? War- get get that real get that wheel all warm for me. Your monster is the earth elemental. Ooh, elementals are interesting. Elemental yet? Oh yes, excellent. Ah, the earth elemental. It's like a golem, but different somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Remember the rock monster in Galaxy Quest? Yes. It's like that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Potentially. Uh, but a bit more, I think, fluid in a way. Yeah, maybe. Well, you guys, I think that just about wraps it up for episode this one. This oh, one. 11. 11. 11 Z's. Oh, lucky, mm-hmm. lucky number. 11's a lucky number, isn't it? I'm saying it is. Wait a minute, Snake Eyes. Never mind. No, it <laughs> no, is. 11's good. 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 Oh, good. We don't want to turn off Jason Webley in case he happens to <laughs> ever listen to ever the listen podcast, podcast this far. Um, uh, any closing thoughts, Alexei? Oh, Here's a thing. Here's actually a thing. For those of you who don't know this, we, the hosts of this podcast, we all live in the Bay Area. Mm. And right now in the Bay Area, there's this sort of like curse, uh, this curse of busyness, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we sort of... We're in this cultural we fetishize our stress. Fetishize our stress, and we worship work, and everybody's busy all the time. Here's the nice thing about D and D. First of all, uh, it <laughs> like it, you can sell it as a social and creative activity, which is relaxing, which everybody knows that they need. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, "This is self care," then like suddenly people are like, "Oh, oh I I should do some of that." Wow. And well, you 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 younger generation is so plugged into your your psychology. And it gives you an excuse to see people you like. Yeah. So like think Ideally. about people that you want to hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not really plugged into people. psychology. I'm just plugged into the language to manipulate other people into hanging uh-huh. out with me. That's and having a good time. Oh, but I don't believe in it. Oh, okay. That's fine. No, I mean, I believe in works. some of it. Yeah. I mean, uh. no, I don't believe in self-care at all. That's <laughs> fucking bullshit. <laughs> um, Work until you die. <laughs> well, Yeah. It's it's you're not doing nothing. You're playing D and D. Well, yeah, right, exactly. For those of for those of you like me who can't stop, not stopping. My luxury gay, my fully automated luxury gay space communism will save you from your Puritan work ethic. And with that, that ends our episode. Goodbye, uh, Goodbye everybody. <laughs> Wake up.